0: Hey, everybody, welcome to the you We're Born for This podcast with Father John Ricardo Mary Guilfoyle. We're a couple of missionaries at Acts 29, and this is the podcast where we talk about anything and everything having to do with transformation in the church. And this episode is going to be a little bit different. We want to share with you a homily from uh, the first Mass celebrated by a good brother of ours, Father Christopher Epplet. Father Christopher is a priest for the Diocese of Grand Rapids, Michigan. He was just ordained a couple of weeks ago now. We were fortunate to celebrate with him and his brother, Father Jacob, as they were ordained for the diocese. And then I was honored to be able to celebrate with him for his first couple of Masses and to have the opportunity to preach. And so this is a homily that I gave, actually, at the first Mass he celebrated in his home parish the day after he was ordained to the ministerial priesthood. We want to share it with you not only so that we can be reminded to pray for those who were just ordained to the priesthood and for an increase in vocations to the priesthood, but also because hopefully it will give us a clear understanding of what the mission that uniquely belongs to the priest is and the mission that uniquely belongs to the lay faithful. Come, Holy Spirit. Fall down upon us in power. Send us out to do all that we can, each wherever we might be, to help recreate this world which you love. Those of you hoping for a quick Mass in, out, and off to the day, forget about it. (laughs) It's not happening. You might know. uh, Hopefully you do. Today is... uh, not only Trinity Sunday, but something of the continuation of the celebration which began yesterday when uh, one of your own, one of your sons, was ordained to the priesthood here for the Diocese of Grand Rapids together with Father Jacob, and so we're going to milk this for all we can. (laughs) And he's already said one Mass this morning, and so he's in rare form. So (laughs) buckle up. Even as we gather together, I would just encourage us, it's, it's worth making sure we don't take for granted him, Father Jacob, and the seminarians who are studying for the Arch- or for the Diocese of Grand Rapids. As Father Christopher mentioned, Deacon Mark's with us right now from Ireland. He's about to be ordained for his diocese in a couple of months. He will be the first priest ordained for his diocese in five years. Many of us remember a time when Ireland used to send missionaries to us. That time is gone. The entire country of Ireland has 12 seminarians. The Archdiocese of Dublin has zero seminarians. That means they won't have a priest ordained for at least nine years in that archdiocese. There are 21 seminarians for the Diocese of Grand Rapids. So let's not take for granted what it is that we're celebrating today and the gift of Father Christopher to this community, which nourished him, but also to the diocese. So as I've been praying for him, for you, for us, In light of the feast that we celebrate today, Trinity Sunday, three things in particular are on my mind. Praise, thanksgiving, and missions. First, praise. Praise to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one to whom we owe everything. You are, I am, we live simply because God, in his amazing kindness, willed you and me into being out of love. You need not be here. I don't mean you need not be in church. I mean you need not exist. I need not exist. God wasn't lonely or bored or waiting for the college football season. God is infinitely happy, and out of his extraordinary love, he created you and me for a mission on this earth, in this life, and one day to share in his own abundant eternal life forever. So all praise and all glory and all honor to him. But second thanks. Thanks to Father Christopher's family, they were here earlier this morning. Thanks to this parish family, which nourished his vocation. Thanks in advance to you, who are gonna to continue to walk with him and support him. I, I joked with him earlier, I'm not sure if you were at, any of you were at the ordination yesterday, but it was beautiful because everybody applauded for him and Father Jacob afterwards. I told him, relish that. That will be the last time they're applauding for years (laughs) until you leave the parish where you're assigned, which, of course, we can never quite understand. Are you applauding to say thanks, or are you cheering because I'm leaving? (laughs) So thanks to him, we owe a debt of gratitude to Father Christopher for saying yes, Some men enter into seminary with no experience in parish life. He entered into seminary with a lot of experience in parish life. We were fortunate to serve together for a number of years, which means he knows what he's in for. And he still said yes. So I'm personally grateful, brother, for your joining the priesthood and for your surrendering to the Lord and your giving of your lives to the people here in the diocese, wherever God will take you. And I was, I'd was i love to see it, just a quick show of hands. Was anybody at the ordination yesterday? A number of us, praise God. It was a packed cathedral. If you've never been to an ordination mass, please go. It is extraordinary. And there were three things that stood out at me or to me as I was thinking of and praying for Father Christopher as he begins his mission as a priest. And I just want to hold them up in front of you because I I do think the Lord wants to offer them to you as something to consider doing every day of your life as a priest from this day forward. So the the rite begins with those who are about to be ordained to be called by name. And so they were seated in the front row actually in a chair in front of the front row, and they stand up and they simply say the word present, which really means ready. Here I am, here I am, Lord. And as you did that yesterday, I felt like the Lord wanted to just encourage you as you consciously wake up every morning to train yourself to get into the habit every morning as your eyes awaken to say that same word to God. Present, Lord. Ready, Lord. Here I am, Lord. And then, shortly thereafter, after the ritual continues to go on, one of the most moving parts of the ordination rite is when those who are about to be ordained lie prostrate on the floor. And we chant the Litany of the Saints, asking for those who are Already with the Lord to intercede on his behalf for an abundance of strength and grace to be given to him to do the mission which God has given to him well and as you were lying there on the floor I was praying for you and looking at you and I was reminded of something that my confessor had encouraged me to do several months ago which was simply as I begin my prayer every morning to pray prostrate as an act of surrender and until yesterday I had never connected that with the ordination ritual. Maybe because I'm 27 years ordained and I don't remember my ordination very well, but the moment I saw that, it was as if the Lord just impressed on me as I lie flat every morning. What I'm saying is, again, Lord, I surrender. And I would suggest and encourage you to think of getting into the habit every morning of not only saying present, but then also lying flat as a a way of the body to say to yourself and to God, I'm all yours. And then lastly, I was struck they picked him and Father Jacob yesterday as the Gospel John 21, which I wouldn't expect anybody to remember. But it's this really powerful scene after the resurrection of Jesus when Jesus and Peter have, have what has to be a very awkward conversation because Jesus has risen from the dead, which has to amaze Peter. But the last time Peter talked face-to-face with Jesus, he had promised him he would lay down his life for him. And of course, he did nothing of the kind. Instead, he denied he even knew him, and Jesus was tortured and then put to death. And so now comes this conversation between Jesus and Peter, And if I'm Peter, I'm bracing for what it is that's about to be asked of me. Except Jesus goes on to ask Peter a really surprising question. He simply asks him, do you love me? And as that gospel was being proclaimed yesterday and I was praying for you, I felt like the Lord wanted to remind you that you, like Peter, are going to fall I don't know how, but you're a man. And wonderful as you are, you're a sinful man, (laughs) and you're going to struggle. But just like Jesus saw Peter's fall, and he saw Peter's struggle, and he still called him, so whatever it is that's coming in your future, he's already seen it, and he still called you. And every morning, he's simply going to ask you, in the midst of your lows, in the midst of those times when you're tempted to discouragement and worse, Christopher, all I want to know is if you love me. And so he says the same to all of us. It's all I want to know. Do you love me? And that leads me to missions, which is really what I think the Lord wants to talk to us about—you, me, Father Christopher. Three missions—the mission of Jesus, without which we can't understand his mission, without which we can't understand your mission. And by yours, I mean yours very precisely—the lay faithful's mission. And maybe the way to understand Jesus' mission is to just look at the gospel real quick. Jesus says, God so loved the world— hear that loud and clear— God loves the world that He gave, He shared with us, His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. We might ask ourselves, why are we in danger of perishing? In other words, if God's so good, If he's all those things that he revealed to Moses in the first reading—faithful, merciful, gracious, kind, patient— if he's all of those and more, then why is the world a mess? Why does it look like it looks? Why are there wars? Why are there broken relationships? Why do we struggle with addictions? Why is there cancer? Why do people die? And the answer to that is very simple. The answer is that one of the creatures that God made, and God only makes good, at a certain moment rebelled against God. And he rebelled against God because of you, because of the plan that God has for you and that he has for me. This creature, who was an angel, was so incensed and so envious of the plan that God has for us to share in his own abundant life, that he went to war—not against God—against the creature God loves the most—that's you. This is what we might call the bad news, and the bad news is horrific. And this creature tricked our first parents at the very beginning of our race with a very simple lie. And this is the lie. God is not good. You can't trust him. He's not faithful. He's not reliable. He's not a good father. He's your adversary. And our first parents fell for that lie. And when they fell for it, they did something that they did not understand what they were doing. They sold us, their children, into slavery, to powers that you and I can never defeat on our own. And there are two primary things, death and sin. Everybody here, the only thing we know for sure is going to happen is, I'm going to die. It's not supposed to be here. But it's here because of what it is that this creature tricked our first parents to do. So God doesn't leave us in the state where we were. Instead, God, the Son, the second person of the Trinity whom we celebrate and praise and adore today becomes flesh to do a set of things, but two especially, to prove to us definitively that God is not our adversary but that he is our Father and that he loves us. The proof? The cross. So valuable, so meaningful, so important are you to God that he thinks you're worth dying for. He didn't send an angel to do that. He did it. But the second reason, the second mission that Jesus has, is he went to war. And he went to war against the only enemy that a Christian has, and that's Satan. As a disciple of Jesus, I have no human enemies. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you are not allowed to have a human enemy. No human being is my enemy. People do wicked things, to be sure. I've done wicked things. You've done wicked things. But they're not the enemy. They're just rebels, just like I was, and still can be, quite frankly, just like you were, and still can be. The enemy is Satan, and God goes to war against him. And on the cross, and on Easter Sunday, he defeats but does not yet destroy him, and he defeats but does not yet destroy sin, and he defeats but does not yet destroy death. And every Sunday is a little Easter. That's what we celebrate here, and Easter is the beginning of the recreation of this world which God loves, which one day He will come back and make right. Everything will be new. Everything will be as it should be. No more sickness, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering of any kind. But we're not there yet, which helps us understand His mission and yours. And maybe the way to understand his mission is from a letter that St. Paul wrote to the Christians in Ephesus, which is in modern Turkey. Paul says this He says, God raises up certain people so as to equip the saints for the work of ministry. He's the one that God's raised up to equip you because you're the saints for the work of ministry, and the work of ministry doesn't belong to him, it belongs to you. Because he's not in the world anymore, not in the way that he was, but you are. And so his mission hits two main things, to preach and to celebrate the sacraments, most especially the Eucharist and confession. In other words, it's his task time after time after time to proclaim the gospel to us, to remind us in the midst of a world which is constantly bombarding our minds with half-truths or lies that God is real, that he's good, that he's kind, that he's faithful, that he's not loving, he is love, that he has a plan, that he knows what he's doing, that he's not anxious, that Jesus is Lord, which is more than the ending of a prayer. It's a reality. And week after week, day after day, it's his task to equip us with those truths. Because most of us, if we're honest, including me, have mostly worldly minds with like a couple of Catholic patches, which is why we struggle. So his task is to continually pound into us, with gentleness, the truth of who God is and the love that he has for us, and then to nourish us with the sacraments. We're going to be fed in just a moment from this altar, thanks to his hands, consecrated yesterday, with what looks like, tastes like, feels like, decomposes like bread, but is not bread really is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. And God gives us the sacraments so that we can have grace. And the easiest way to understand grace, grace is power. Supernatural power. Many of us, I fear, expect more from a bottle of Tylenol than we do from the Eucharist but we're about to put into our bodies the power of the one that created the universe this morning. So whatever we're struggling with today, come forward with confidence and with a beggar's heart to receive strength. Because the whole basis of the Christian life is you and I, no matter who we are, what we've done, where we've been, even if it was last night, can change. That's his mission. Your mission is ministry. I don't think most of us think that way in the Catholic Church. We think it's his job and the two and a half average staff people in a Catholic Church to do all the work. Nope, it's your job. And I might suggest that the easiest way to understand your glorious mission as the lay faithful is two things—to evangelize and to recreate. You might have noticed the culture we're living in right now is angry. It's hostile. We're tempted to demonize one another. We're at each other's throats, both in our words and sometimes, quite literally, with our hands. We are riddled with despair. How is that going to get better? Those of you who do work in problem-solving know the key to problem-solving is define the problem. What's the problem with the human race? Right here. The heart. My heart your heart. Politics can't fix that problem. Politics is really important. It can't fix the heart. Law can't fix that problem. Laws are very important. They can't change the heart. The only one that can change hearts is God. And hearts get changed as they get softened. And they get softened as they come to hear and to know who God is. And that's part of your task, part of your mission, to help those around you who are riddled with despair, who are trapped in anger and resentment and hostility by the witness of your life and the words of your mouth to come to know who God is. But not just to evangelize, to recreate. Here's the easiest way I know to think about this mission. The devil can't create. Only God can create. All the devil can do is twist, bend, pervert, deface, mar. And our task, your task especially, is to do everything we can to bend what he's twisted back. So in this church right now, we have coaches, teachers, teachers. Nurses, engineers, stay-at-home dads, stay-at-home moms. God has placed everybody here in a very particular place with very particular gifts. And he's placed us there not simply so that we will do what we do with integrity, although that matters, but so that we will use God's gifts to bend those systems back. To, God, to how God created them to be, to make healthcare more in accord with how God created it to be, to make the legal profession more in accord with how God created it to be, to make entertainment more in accord with how God created it to be, to make politics more in accord with how God created it to be, to make sports more in accord with how God created it to be, and on and on and on. And there are no insignificant roles in this mission, Everybody here has a leading role, everybody. There are no extras, there's no bystanders. God willed you and me to be alive right now in human history, in the middle of everything that's happening in this country. And he wants to use us to help make this culture more human. And only God can do that, which means he's chosen to need you. Because Jesus has no other hands now but yours and no other feet now but yours. And one day, to be sure again, he's going to come back and he's going to make it all new. But we got work in the meantime. We, We used to sing, maybe we used to sing here the song The city of God, there's a line in there, let us build the city of God. It's a terrible song, please don't ever sing it. (laughs) You can't build the city of God, but you sure as heck can build for it. And that's the mission, starting today. I might encourage us all, as we're sitting here and as we receive Jesus in the Eucharist, and then especially as we go back and we give him thanks, after having received him, to ask the king one very simple question. What are you asking me today, Lord, to recreate? What area in my life, in our marriage, in our family, in our home, in our workplace, in our school, what are you asking me to do today, to say today? Maybe it's to forgive. Maybe it's to say, I'm sorry. Maybe it's to call somebody we haven't called in a long time whom God's put on our mind. Whatever it is, Lord, what are you asking me to do today to make my world more authentically human, more the way you created it to be? and then let's go to work.